And then the IAB can go to privacy advocates. They can go to the government and say, look, we're all operating on the same framework. It's consistent from company to company and it's all privacy compliant. Right. So gotcha. Project REARC is kind of embodying all of that work across the entire industry mm-hmm. so that we can kind of move forward without cookies, but still do what we do today. Welcome to the Programmatic Digest podcast, where we cover top programmatic and digital news. I'm your host, Ellen Parker, your very own programmatic sensei. Thank you for joining us. And before we get into today's conversation, please do me those three small favors. Follow us on Apple iTunes and leave us a review. Like and comment on social media. We are currently on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and very soon to be on YouTube, y'all. Yay! And finally, sign up to the newsletter on the website, programmaticdigest.com. It sends you one reminder every new episode or once a month as a recap. This week, we discuss Google's cookie deprecation and the major things happening to address it with Shiv Gupta from the U of Digital. When Shiv and I discussed this topic, it was before Google's most recent news that they would not create alternative identifier to track individuals' browsing behavior and even casting out their doubt on the viability of email-based identifiers. So please be mindful as you listen to the major gems that Shiv and I are discussing. Thank you and enjoy. Welcome back to the Sunset's Corner, Shiv. We're so excited to have you back. I'm really excited to be back here. Thanks for having me. Yes. So I know you've been on the podcast a few times. You even co-hosted by yourself once. Uh, So we tested that and I'm looking forward to testing some more. But just in case someone doesn't know who Shiv is, can you just give us a brief introduction about yourself, who you are, and also what you do? Sure. Um, So I have spent my entire career in the ad tech space. Uh, I started at a company called ad.com back in the 2000s in their operations group, optimizing campaigns, running CPA campaigns, you know, pricing deals out, working with salespeople. It was thrilling. It was a fun time. Uh, It was a cool first job out of college. Ad.com was owned by AOL at the time. And so really I was at AOL for about 10 years, moved into sales, sales leadership, mostly on the programmatic and platform side of their business. From there, I hopped over to a company called Critio, which I would imagine a lot of your listeners are familiar with. Uh, I was heading up their sales efforts for the Eastern region of the United States for a couple of years out of New York. Um, And then I started a company three years ago. I moved to the Bay Area. I got an entrepreneurial itch. Um, and I started U of Digital, and we focus on bringing structured education to this industry for all the folks that need it, which frankly, I think is most of us. So yeah, that's that's kind of who I am. Yeah. And happy anniversary because you just celebrated three years, right? I did. Yeah. Hey. LinkedIn reminded me. LinkedIn was like, hey, it's your three-year anniversary. I started seeing the little notifications. Yeah. Oh, you know, so-and-so has liked your three-year anniversary. And I was like, <laughs> oh, maybe I should post something about this. So yeah, I'm, I'm super thankful, excited, grateful for the ride uh, that I've been on. So excited that it's lasted this long um, and excited to keep going. You know, we're doing really cool things and I'm just super thankful for the community that we've been able to foster as part of this company. Well, we've really enjoyed you of digital. I think what you're doing is absolutely fantastic. You're definitely a leader in this industry and I really wish you well. And I know it's going to be well, like it's only upward from this point forward. Like you're like going to continue Thanks. making magic and you have our support for it. Um, like I said, we're really grateful for the type of um, 
not knowledge, but also like um, the type of support you give out. So I think it just says a lot about you. So um, happy anniversary. I hope you got to celebrate a little bit. Yeah, I don't know about celebrating, but, <laughs> you know, I'll take a minute and uh, be thankful. Uh, and I appreciate those kind words. You know, yeah. we couldn't do it without awesome folks like yourselves, Ellen. So thank you so much. It means a lot. Yeah. So, okay. So before we started recorded, recording, sorry, I told you that this was probably a selfish episode because I was out on maternity leave and I'm back. And the only way I was able to stay in touch with uh, what was going on, because World War Four happened apparently in our industry, to say the least. So I was still, I was still receiving your newsletter. So for those who doesn't know, U of Digital has a newsletter. So tell us about your newsletter. Tell us how our listeners can get onto it because I definitely think it's helpful. It's like a super nice and easy read. And I say nice and easy because I've read it a few times in the middle of the night, uh, like 2 a.m. or 4 a.m. You know, some of us will, will relate to that comment. But tell us a little bit about how we can get to this news, newsletter because it's really helpful. Yeah. So first of all, I'm sorry that you're reading about ad tech at 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. That sounds miserable. <laughs> Um, and I hate that I'm a part of that, but, um, but yeah, I, so our newsletter, to your point, we try to make yeah. it super simple, quick read, right? So five to 10 minutes each week. And the idea is like, there's so much stuff going on every, every day, every week in this industry, it's hard to keep up on your own. Like you could set up yeah. Google alerts, you could read, you know, the trades, but there's a lot of repetition. There's a lot of like complication. You know, one thing we like to say is like this industry sometimes thrives on complication. We want to do the opposite, right? So in the newsletter, we want to make it simple, easy to understand. Like even if it's the most complicated stuff, you know, whether it be about flock or, you know, the latest legislation around data privacy, whatever it might be, um, we write about that. We make it simple and easy to understand. We summarize the news and then we provide opinions um, just to keep it easy for everybody. And so if you want to access the newsletter, you can go to our website, uof.digital, not .com, .digital, uh, backslash newsletters. And on that page, you'll see a coupon code or a promo code, sorry, uh, 2MO free. And that will give you access to the newsletter for two months free. And if you like it from there, you could pick up a subscription for $9 a month and hopefully just expense it to your company and they won't care all that much. Right, 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 right. But I definitely think it's, uh, it's worth it. Like I said, it's, it's very simple and I love your opinions. And then the memes are what gives me life. Honestly, that's why I kept kept me going. I definitely enjoyed uh, the little humor in there, but it's very, very informative and very educative. So with that being said, I came across the most recent newsletter where you talked about uh, the Traders UI UID 2.0 being taken over by Prebid. And so I realized like, okay, so last Last I checked, um, we were still at 1.0, so I don't know when 2.0 happened. So break it back to um, just for myself and for the listeners who may not have followed through as well as, as they could have or as well as everyone else could have. Just break it down for us. Um, so Google, Google deprecation, we all know is going away in the next six, seven months, uh, give or takes early. I think there's a Q1 2022, right? Well, 2022, I think they've been very unclear about when in 2022. Oh, okay. So yeah, we don't, we don't actually know when it might be like, it might be a year and a half from now before cookies go away. It might be, right. you know, 10 months. So we don't know. Okay. So give or take 2022, we might have, uh, we, it might go away. So a few uh, leading ad tech have come come out or come forward with potential solutions. So I mentioned the three desk U, UID, Unified ID, um, taking over by Prebid. Google had a few things within their sandbox. So I just heard very recently 
Flock, the case of Flock. Um, I know that the IAB talked about Project REARC at some point. Um, so can you just give us like a good, um, almost like a, a definition and why it's important, why we should pay attention, or if we shouldn't pay attention to those, those big solutions out there? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll, I'll try my best to give everyone a really quick kind of lay of the land when it yep. comes to all things identity. Okay. Um, so you mentioned Google's deprecating cookies. Apple's already done it in Safari, right? So we already have this problem. Also, just identity is is getting harder and harder, and it's more and more important for marketers. Um, you know, as the consumer journey becomes more fragmented, we have online versus offline, we have in-app versus web, on and on, right? So we have these issues with identity, and now data privacy, regulation, the browser changes, it basically exacerbates all of those issues and makes this a very burning need for the industry to solve, right? So when Google made this announcement, there were a few dominoes that fell. Uh, and this was early in 2020. The first one was IAB announced Project REARC. Now, just you know, in the same vein of all the things that the IAB does, Project REARC is about coming up with a framework for the industry to be able to do what we do today with cookies, but do it with these cookie-less solutions, right? And so they're coming up with the framework, right, to be able to collect identifiers, to collect data on users in a more privacy-compliant way for companies to be able to share that data across, you know, one another in a, in a very privacy-compliant way, right? So coming up with the contracts and things like that for that type of data sharing. And so they're coming up with a general framework for all of that, which is rooted in, you know, PII, in personally identifiable identity, like email, phone number, postal address, et cetera. But the idea is they're helping the industry, right, on a bigger picture level, coming up with a framework so that all these companies that develop cookie-less solutions can then adhere to that framework. And then the IAB can go to privacy advocates. They can go to the government and say, look, we're all operating on the same framework. It's consistent from company to company yeah. and it's privacy compliant, right? So gotcha. Project REARC is kind of embodying all of that work across the entire industry mm -hmm. so that we can kind of move forward without cookies, but still do what we do today. That's number one. Mm -hmm. Then you have Google, you know, kind of when they announced that they're deprecating cookies, they announced that they are going to be working on alternatives for cookies and something called the Google Privacy Sandbox. Mm -hmm. The Privacy Sandbox is a collaborative open environment for industry st stakeholders to come in and basically propose mechanisms and technologies and, uh, and ways in which we can keep doing what we do as an industry, right? Targeting, measurement, et cetera, but using some kind of new mechanism, right? That's not cookies. Uh, and so, you know, Google has obviously contributed their own ideas into their sandbox. They've also taken contributions from companies like Critio and Newstar mm -hmm. and just other third parties out there, right? And so, you know, fast forward a year, uh, they are now kind of landing on some semblance of what they're actually going to do as a replacement for third-party cookies. Yeah. And the first step towards that is this announcement around Flock. Okay. Yeah. So flock and, and these are all bird themed. I don't know why they decided. <laughs> why is that? Yeah. There's flock, there's turtle dove, there's pigeon, there's right. fledge. We can go on and on. There's tons of bird themed ideas. I don't know why. Right. I don't know what the idea there was. Oh man. Um, but flock, so flock stands for federated learning of cohorts, okay. right? And flock basically the concept is that in the future, without cookies, 
in Chrome, right? Google yeah. will universally enable some kind of new mechanism, right? Yeah. But that mechanism will not get down to an individual user level, right? For again, targeting and measurement purposes, it will operate on a cohort level, right? Where the browser or maybe some different companies can bunch people together into interest level cohorts and then do things like measurement and targeting based on cohort level information. And what that does, right? First of all, from a ad tech perspective, it enables us to still kind of do the things that we do today, not on a one-to-one level, but on a cohort level, which I think is okay. Yeah. Um, but then on the flip side, what it does is it it makes the privacy advocates feel better, right? Because we're not now getting down one-to-one. We're looking at groups of people. And you know the, the theory holds that when you're looking at groups of people and you're obfuscating any specific information about those people, aside from just what cohort are they in? Well, then you can't really reverse engineer your way to their identity, right? And that's where it's like, okay, now we're protecting people's data privacy. So that's Flock. Should I keep going now? Should I go to, to Unified ID? Um, yes. So, right. So let's just recap before we go to, to the Unified ID, because I feel like all of them are very different, even though they are proposed solution to the one, the same one thing. So Project Rearch was suggesting to go via email addresses versus a cookie. Mm-hmm. identifier. Flock is to group based on interest. So it's almost like it's just grouping them instead of having like almost a one-on-one, you're just having like a mosaic of interest targeting. So the way I understood it is more like on a, a contextual level almost. Is it? Keep me honest. Um, th- I don't think, I wouldn't say it's contextual um, because it's still about, you know, what kind of sites people are visiting and then kind okay. of bunching them together uh-huh. in these cohorts. It's just it's just a lot broader, right, than what we have today uh-huh. with cookies. Um, so it's even more yeah. broader. Okay. And yeah. now the Treatise Unified ID. Yes. So so let me just, before I talk about Unified ID, sure, sure, yeah. I think there's a common mis- misconception in our space uh-huh. that these solutions are mutually exclusive. So let me explain. So like Rearch, for example, as I mentioned, it's an industry framework. So I believe Google is actually seeking to comply with Rearch, right? With whatever they come up with, right? With the alternative to third-party cookies, it's going to be Flock. It's going to be a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Mm -hmm. And all that's going to come together to some new mechanism that Google creates for Chrome. That's going to be hopefully compliant with Project Rearch, right? Um, In some shape or form. So Project Rearch should kind of, in your mind, serve as a foundation for all the new solutions that we're working on as an industry for the you know the alternatives to third-party cookies mm-hmm. as just something that all of those solutions kind of sit on top of to consolidate them, to unify them, to streamline them for the entire space, right? So that's that's how those things are different, but really kind of complementary in a way. Okay. So now let's talk about Unified ID, right? So Unified ID 1.0, as you mentioned, was Trade Desk's original identity solution. Uh, Unified ID 1.0 was very much based on some probabilistic identifiers, some deterministic identifiers, uh, you know, just like any other ID graph in the space um, that is not owned by Google or Facebook or Amazon, right? So um, they had to do a mishmash approach to, to figuring out identity. Now, Unified ID 1.0 predicated on third-party cookies, just like all the other identity graphs have been until now. Also, Unified ID 1.0, Trade Desk made it free 
for the industry to access. Um, and so what's interesting about that is they got mass adoption, right? So tons and tons of companies, even some of uh, Trade Desk's competitors use Unified ID 1.0 today. So that gave Trade Desk this, this seat to sit in, right? To, and also this responsibility to figure out like, what are we going to do as an industry moving forward, given that they were already so mass adopted with Unified ID 1.0. Yeah. So with Unified ID 2.0, Uh, basically what they're doing is it's basically predicated on email address as well, right? So what they want to be able to do is collect email address from publishers, uh, be able to encrypt that into an ID, right? And then be able to pass that ID on to the demand side to have some kind of understanding of the user, right? And the idea is if I'm, I'm Shiv, right? I'm logged in with my email address on New York Times, and then I'm logged in with my email address on um, I don't know, let's say Time Magazine's website as well, because they both have those paywalls set up or just login walls set up. Mm-hmm. Well, then both of those publishers can pass my email address to Unified ID 2.0, which will then send back the same ID, right? Because mm-hmm. the same email address, they will send back the same encrypted ID to the bidders, right? That'll say, oh, well, I saw the same person, Shiv. They won't know it's Shiv. It'll just be a string of numbers. But I saw the same person, let's say two days ago on New York Times' website. Yeah. I'm seeing them now on Time Magazine's website. I know I've seen this ID a bunch of times in the last few days. So I kind of know what they do, what they like, who they are, right? And now I can bid on this ad more intelligently, right? Versus if I had no idea of who this person was. And so that's the general framework of Unified ID 2.0. Now, the key is it doesn't need third-party cookies. It just needs that kind of uh, encrypted ID or email address passed in um, in order to generate, again, uh, a kind of a unified identifier um, (laughs) that will be persistent across multiple publishers if those publishers can collect email address. So that's where the rubber meets the road, right? Because we know today less than 10% of the web is authenticated. Yeah. Right? Probably even less than 5% is authenticated. And maybe that'll increase a little bit, you know, as we move into this new world without cookies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Publishers will be motivated to put up those login walls and paywalls, yeah. but it's never going to become, you know, a vast majority. And so, you know, a unified ID 2.0 is going to have holes in it, right? And that's why you're starting to see like, you know, a couple of other things about Unified ID 2.0, they're making it open source. So it's going to be free, okay. not only free, but widely available for anybody to grab. It's also going to be governed independently now by prebid. Yeah, so that's, that's fascinating as well. Mm-hmm. So last thing I'll say about uh, Unified ID 2.0 is, you know, just like we were talking earlier, IAB uh, Reark is the, f- the framework for the entire industry to build cookie solutions on top of, right? Yeah. So the IAB can then confidently represent the industry when it comes to these solutions. Google's solution, right, is for Chrome specifically and for Chromium. Um, and that will enable some level of targeting, measurement, maybe it'll be cohort level, right? Maybe it'll be harder to reverse engineer, et cetera, right? But it will yeah. not be down to one-to-one or cookie level type of targeting and measurement. Okay. Unified ID 2.0 and some of the other solutions that look similar, let's say LiveRamp, for example, that yeah, look yeah. similar to Unified ID 2.0, those will be alternatives for Google's privacy sandbox solution, right? So privacy sandbox will enable some basic things for everybody to be able to use. But then if you have a cookie-less solution like a Unified ID 2.0, mm-hmm. that will allow you get to get down to the specific person level, right? Without third-party cookies. And it will serve as an alternative, a better alternative to whatever Google's offering you know, within Chrome with what they're working on with privacy sandbox. So wait, you mentioned live intent, uh, live ramp. Which one is that one? Because I was going to add about ask about the tap ad graph. Yeah, so LiveRamp has another prominent 
ID graph in the space. Now, mm -hmm. ironically, LiveRamp and the Trade Desk are actually collaborating on Unified okay. ID 2.0. So they're sharing data back oh. and forth. They're augmenting each other's solutions, gotcha. et cetera. Uh, LiveRamp still has their own thing, right? Which is called Identity Link, mm -hmm. right? And this is, I'm glad you asked that question because what we're going to see, I think, in this space moving forward is the Trade Desk's Unified ID 2.0 will yeah. probably become a ubiquitous identifier that everyone will have access to and everyone will use to just generate those encrypted IDs, right? And then you're going to have companies like LiveRamp come along, let's say Critio, right? Mm -hmm. um, Newstar, all sorts of companies come along and basically say, hey, listen, we use Unified ID 2.0 to basically create the encrypted key, but then we have some of our own special sauce, some of our own proprietary data that we have sit on top of Unified ID 2.0 that makes our identity graph more compelling than the next guys, right? Okay. So if you start kind of stack ranking the identity <laughs> solutions in the space, I think we, we too often think about them as like just, they're all competitive with one another. Mm -hmm. And if I were to kind of get one thing across to you guys in this podcast, it would be, you have IAB REARC sitting at the bottom, right? Coming up with the specifications, the standards, the contracts, et cetera, for ID uh, in the future. Mm -hmm. Then you have uh, on one side, Google's Privacy Sandbox Initiative, which will come up with some basic identifiers that everyone and anyone will be able to use within Chrome. As an alternative to that, you will have Unified ID 2.0, which will kind of become ubiquitous because it's open source and free. So you have all these companies joining in, LiveRamp, Critio, you know, all the exchanges, they're all partnering now with Unified ID 2.0 because it's free and open source. And they're all going to help augment it, right? And it will become a ubiquitous identifier for all of these open web ad tech companies to utilize. Then on top of Unified ID 2.0, you're going to have all these companies come in and say, oh, well, we, we use Unified ID 2.0. So yeah. we're all talking the same language and with the same IDs, but we have our own understanding of our own data on users that help us actually have a much better understanding of identity in this space than what you could get through a privacy sandbox or even just a vanilla plain Jane Unified ID 2.0 or better than the next guy, right? That's also sitting on top of Unified ID 2.0. Yes. And that's that was the goal of the Trade Desk, if I remember. They wanted to come up with like an industry-wide mm -hmm. solution. So they never wanted to own the project from the get-go, right? They wanted to start and then pass it on at some point, which is what they did with Prebid. Um, so mm -hmm. I guess that's an optimistic point there. Um, so quick question before we move on to the next segment. So what do you think is going to happen to the open web? Because if, okay, you, you mentioned less than 10% of the web or the publishers ask for some type of like login, they have like some type of paywall. Mm -hmm. um, if let's say cookies disappear and um, the UID 2.0 continues to take on as much, right? More people, I'm interested even to work and look into it, to be honest, for like clients that are running with me, campaigns that I'm running currently, um, so, but what's going to happen to the open web? Do you think more and more publishers are going to put up that paywall? If it's not a paywall, will they just ask like a media post? Like you just have to sign up and then you can read for free forever uh, versus ad exchanger or the ad wig that only allows you like five or I think three um, free article. What, what's going to happen to the open web? I mean, that's a huge question, Ellen. I don't think I can answer the whole thing. I, I don't think I, anyone knows the answer, right? But um, I guess I guess some hypotheses that I have 
You know, there, there are many different schools of thought here. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, we're already seeing this right now. Many publishers are going to put up paywalls. They're going to have to come up with alternative ways to monetize. And that's why you're seeing paywalls as opposed to just free logins mm-hmm. um, because ads are going to become less lucrative for them, right? Without identity, without cookies, we know that advertising drives less revenue for publishers, which is scary, right? And so I think like the, the there's there's the commonly held beliefs that data privacy is going to push more traffic into the walled gardens, unfortunately, right? It's mm-hmm. just like an unfortunate effect. Right. Um, and we're going to see more paywalls around the web, which is going to be harder and harder for users to be able to navigate and pay for all these things. You're going to mm-hmm. see more just free login as well. The conventional knowledge, again, is like it's going to hurt open web publishers. It's going to hope, hurt the open internet. Now, yeah. the flip side of that is, you know, is there a world in which, let's say, Unified ID 2.0 gets so much traction and all these companies come together and work together in a way to make it scalable, right? And then all of a sudden, that actually is scary for the walled gardens, right? Because you have this big identity solution that may be scalable, accurate, and ubiquitous yeah. across the open web. And the yeah. walled gardens are like, oh, man, now we can't kind of fight against this fragmented space anymore. We have to fra- we have to fight against a unified space, yeah. which is much harder for them to do. So that's kind of the optimist viewpoint. Do I think that's going to happen? I don't really think so, but there is that kind of glass half full right. viewpoint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. So, You're right. Oh, I don't man. know. I gave you a non-answer. I gave you a non-answer answer. I apologize. <laughs> It was like a safe conservative answer. Yeah. Um, I think that's a that's a great question, and I think we'll leave it here. I've, I have so much so much more to ask, but there's so much information and details and gems you just dropped in the last like 24 minutes that I think I think I'm gonna break it out here, and maybe we'll have you back to to do like a 2.0. <laughs> See what I did there? A 2.0 of this episode in the next uh, next couple of weeks because I'm sure a lot will change in in that time frame. So. We're going to close, unfortunately, um, but we really appreciate you coming. And before we part ways, how about you just let us know if I know that you've always semi work from home, right? Your team works from home pretty much. Um, but what do you think is going to happen to the going back into an office work landscape? Is that you think is going to change? Has it affected you uh, working with clients? But again, I think for you, you've always worked from home. It's, it's been mostly virtual. Aside from the conference you keynoted at, yeah, I, I yeah, I mean, it's everyone's virtual. We've always been virtual. Uh, we've right. never had an office. I'm just going to agree with every obvious thing that everyone is saying, right? Which is <laughs> the new world is going to be more of a hybrid between yeah. in person and online. I think there's, um, I think there's some cool benefits there, right? In terms of just geographic flexibility, work-life balance that people will be able to achieve from that. Um, you know, I, I think just personally speaking from a training perspective, we obviously do a lot of education and training. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one really cool benefit of that is I think the the video kind of online culture has really improved kind of out of necessity yeah. versus what it used to be pre pandemic, right? So I think like, you know, my my experience working on video calls or Zoom calls pre-pandemic was like, whenever there's a video call, people just take it less seriously, right? Some people are like, oh, yeah. their camera's off, they don't pay attention, especially <laughs> when it comes to training. Yeah. yeah. Especially when it comes to training, right? Like people were just like thought it was almost optional in a way. Yeah. And now because of necessity, everyone's more focused and everyone feels a responsibility like, hey, this is our best semblance. This is our best representation of in-person. So we got to make the most of it. So I actually think like, you know, all the normal stuff that everyone's saying, I pretty much agree with. I'm not any pundit when it comes to like remote work or anything like that. But I do think it's fascinating that 
we just as a society have been forced to learn how to create productivity out of video calls. And I think, you know, there's some negative effects of that, but I think there's also a lot of positive effects of that. And we're seeing that come through in, in the education training space. So I'm excited about that. That's that's really cool. Thank you for sharing. And I think that's a good segue into my next question, which is related to work-life balance. So is there three things you can share, like advice to the listeners about, uh, like when I do those three things, I feel refueled, I feel rejuvenate, rejuvenated. Um, you know, one of the guests shared that he just walks outside before he logs in for the day, just taking that nature, Gabriel Cohen actually. And then sometimes he'll just take a break and hug his kids. And then he definitely forced himself to cook at night. So he knows like when to stop, it's now night. So what what's three things you do? Yeah. So, uh, this is probably pandemic related, but, uh, one thing, yeah. So, so one thing that I've found to be really valuable is like, you don't have to treat the workday like the workday anymore. I think like, you know, we, and sometimes we're forced into it because of meetings and things like that, but we've got a nine to five. And in the past, we kind of had to do nine to five because we were in person at an office. Right. And so now it's like, Hey, if your first meeting is not till 10, take that first hour and go for a jog and like work out. Right. Or like, this is crazy. I think people are going to think I'm crazy, but like if you got an hour in the middle of the day and your kid's taking a nap, go like nap with him for 30 minutes. I've always you know? been in the middle of the day nap. Sorry. Yeah. Middle of the day oh, naps are great, right? Yeah. They're awesome. <laughs> yeah. So like, you know, and, and like I find myself doing a lot of work at night, which, you know, in the past that was like kind of a pain in the butt, but now it's, it's actually okay because I actually like staggered my day. I took some breaks in between. Mm-hmm. At night after the kids go to sleep, yeah, I could spend 45 minutes or an hour knocking out a task. Like that's not a big deal. So I would just say like re kind of imagine your own schedule outside of nine to five. Yeah. And then I think that opens up all sorts of cool opportunities just around work-life balance, mental health, physical health, you know, spending time with your family, et cetera. So that's number one. Um, let's see, two and three, other advice. Make your own lunch in your kitchen. You just like, and have fun with it, you know, yeah. like, because like, we couldn't do that. We were always going out, like buying lunch or like yeah, yeah, going to right. a cafeteria or bringing something packed. Just like have fun with your lunch, you know, watch it, eat your lunch while you watch some TV or something, uh, watch the news or yeah. do something different. Um, that's number two. Number three, hmm, uh, work-life balance. <laughs> I mean, I can't, this is an obvious one. Just like, keep, keep moving, like stay mobile, you know, mm-hmm. get a standing desk, work out. I need to heed my own advice. Like after I had a second child a few months ago, <laughs> I've not been good at working out. And as much as it's easy for me to blame my child, it's not his fault. It's my <laughs> we fault. You can blame them a little bit. Okay. They take away sleep. Yeah, I mean, I've got a nanny, so like, I don't feel like I can really blame him that much, <laughs> Okay. but yeah, I'm going to give myself this advice. Like got to yeah. work out, got to stay active. I feel like I've aged a lot in the last few months. <laughs> Because I haven't done it as much. So just, you know, keep your body moving. Okay. So in recap, you said um, take naps in the middle of the workday or in the middle of the day. Be creative with your lunch making every day in your own kitchen and then uh, move, move around. I think this is a, a common theme here. Just move around, exercise. It doesn't have to be, a, you know, any hit exercise. You can just go for a walk, anything, but stay moving. Um, I actually do have a standing desk and that's super helpful. I mean, investing is like three or four years ago when I started working from home full time. Uh-huh. And it's, it's really helpful to work. Like when you're just feeling like the afternoon slump yeah, yeah. thing on and then you're just ready to go. But um, yeah, are you do you have anything on your reading list right now? On my reading list? Um, no, I, I don't. I, I like stopped reading. That's also a big problem. I stopped reading. <laughs> so like, you know, I always feel really guilty when I see like 
you know, top 10 things entrepreneurs do. They, they, they always have like five books that they're reading at one time. Hey, guess what, Ellen? I've got zero right now. I've got zero. <laughs> like I've got this Audible subscription. I've downloaded yeah, a bunch dude. of books. Every new year, I tell myself, okay, I got to get back to it. Yeah. Um, when I started this company three years ago, I read so much, Ellen. I read so much. Yeah. I read all these like business books, but I can't. I can't lie to you and say like, I'm reading anything right now. I'm not, I don't, I'm not reading anything. <laughs> yeah. And it's absolutely okay. You should give some yourself some grace. You've accomplished so much. There's a lot going on. So you should give yourself some grace. Just, I encourage you to take a walk, like before you get back to work or hug one of your kids. Um, but yeah, give yourself some grace. I think you're doing a great job. Just, uh, educating us on this podcast right now. So we want to leave you with some encouragement, some grace, and then again, some big, big congratulations, because I think three is definitely something you should still celebrate. Um, even if it's just like taking another nap today or whatever, just, just take some time for yourself. Like I encourage that. <laughs> Thank you. I needed that. Whatever that uh, means. I, I like how this turned into a podcast about me trying to help people into like <laughs> everyone just trying to help me. So I appreciate that. I needed that. No problem. That's what we're here for. We're all one team, one, one team, one family. So um, thank you so much. Good luck. We'll have you, we'll have you back on the podcast for sure. Thanks. Thanks, Ellen. Love doing this. Uh, I love what you're doing as well. This is an awesome podcast. Thank you for having me. And I, I'm excited about the next one. Sweet. Thank you so much for joining the conversation and we hope you enjoyed it. Please do us three small favors. Follow us on Apple iTunes and leave us a review. Like and comment on all social media. Sign up to our newsletter on the website programmaticdigest.com which sends you one reminder every new episode or once a month as a recap. For any articles, topics, and the guest information, you can find it in the show notes on our website programmaticdigest.com. Thank you and stay curious, my friend.